Welcome to the DJE Podcast, where you will learn about real estate investing from real life examples. Here's your host, Devin Elder. Hello and welcome to the DJE Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, my name is Devin Elder. I'm your host. And today our guest is my friend, John Brixen, repeat guest. He's out of Dallas, Texas. John is a founder and principal of McKinney Realty Capital, a commercial real estate finance and advisory firm. In 2022, McKinney Realty Capital will close over $300 million across 30 loans, primarily on value-add multifamily properties in Texas. John has been in commercial real estate finance industry for over 10 years as a lender, investor, and broker. And he's been a great advisor for us on a number of our projects. Uh, but aside from that, we dive into very topical and timely conversation around what's happening with the debt markets, what's happening with the Fed, what's happening with these loan products on multifamily. So really getting granular on how deals are getting done right now, what you need to watch out for if you're an existing borrower, uh, and how all this is playing out, because it's a very fluid situation. So a lot of good information in this episode, and very timely. So I know you'll enjoy that. Before we jump in, a message from our sponsors, Apartment Educators is uh, one of our sponsors, and that's a company that I'm a principal in, and this is a full ecosystem for teaching people how to go out and buy and operate these large multifamily projects as investments. We've got an eight-part free video series for you at apartmenteducators.com. And then secondly, just DJE, my company. If you're not seeing our investment projects that come out and you want to, and you want to meet our team and be considered as a future future potential investor, you can sign up at djetexas.com. And there's a link right below in the show notes for that. So without further ado, let's get into this episode with John Brixen. John Brixen, great to see you again. Welcome to the show. How are you? Doing well, Devin. How are you? I'm doing great. Doing great. We're just talking in the green room a little bit about uh, kind of the current state of the, the debt markets and things like that. So I think very, very timely and topical um, thing to, to talk about with you on the show. Um, you're obviously living and breathing day in, day out the debt on these types of multifamily projects all over the country. And so, you know, it's always good to kind of check in with your debt broker on your project, uh, because these things can change, you know, weekly or daily, even in some cases on, on how the debt structures and these deals are going. So, um, we'll start with kind of the big, you know, the, the, the big picture. What, what are you seeing right now? We're talking Q4 2022 in the multifamily debt markets out there. Yeah, I would say, um, you know, today is for November 30th, 2022. So, you know, currently more recently, we've, we've honestly seen a little bit of a thaw or a little bit of easing in the conditions out there. I mean, the, the CPI print, came in lower than expected uh, last month, I think for, for October. And so that was a huge benefit for both just the stock market and also the interest rate markets. Um, you know, I think what the market's really expecting now is there is kind of a light at the end of the tunnel in terms of uh, is the Fed going to keep hiking 75 basis points every month that just, you know, just Jay Powell just continues to, to crush us. And so I think once we start yeah. to see inflation slowing down, um, you know, that, that kind of indicates that Fed will, will ease up a little bit. And hopefully uh, December, they hike 50 basis points instead of 75. 
And then we'll see, you know, first half of 2023, um, I think we're getting closer to the top in terms of like where the Fed is going to keep hiking. So that was a big positive. Um, you know, we saw the 10-year Treasury fall from around 4.2% down to where it is today, around 3.75. So, you know, about a 45 basis point drop. So that, that's been really helpful for people who are looking to do fixed rate financing, you know, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac financing. Um, so that's been a, be a benefit. And then you've seen uh, the stock market rally uh, a little bit as well over the last few months. And so I think there's been a little bit of positive momentum. Uh, the big question is, is like, you know, will CPI continue to decline? Um, you know, we've seen energy prices staying low, so that should help uh, the inflation numbers. And then you're starting to see uh, supply chains easing as well, which that was a big driver of inflation. So I feel like uh, you know, interest rates will stay elevated here. I think the conditions for financing will continue to be challenging, but I think that we are seeing a little bit of positive momentum here, and you know, hopefully, say more of a soft landing here instead of a hard one. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, the the we've got this unprecedented race uh, from the Fed's part on kind of a hiking cycle that. I think caught a lot of us by surprise, but hopefully, you know, is a, a race to get to the top as quickly as possible. Um, and so we'll see, you know, we'll see how that shakes out. It really interesting, you know, I, I've been referring to it as whiplash, but you know, we're still in 2022. I mean, you and I did some deals early 2022 that feels like a lifetime ago in terms of kind of the debt markets and stuff. So, you know, we've gone from rates at, you know, mid threes to, you know, approaching seven. Um, so a lot of these deals got financed over the last couple of years with really a record transaction volume in, in Texas and in multifamily. A lot of this stuff got into to bridge programs. So, um, you know, what are you, what are you seeing for those borrowers now uh, that are maybe in a variable bridge program? And we can touch on the SOFR caps too, because that's kind of another variable that that's to play here. Uh, but love to get your thoughts on all the transactions happened the last 24 months that got into the variable bridge debt and kind of what, you know, what that looks like today. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, I think whiplash is the, the right word to describe what it's been like being in, in multifamily for the last, you know, two years, and especially on the financing side of things. I mean, you know, obviously COVID happened, market shut down, and then the Fed just, you know, just flooded the market with money and people could not, overpay for, for multifamily properties and everyone was trying to get their hands on, on multifamily. And, you know, luckily local sponsors like yourself and, and people that have a good reputation in the market were able to source some, some pretty attractive deals. And, but there's a lot of people that are buying properties at peak valuations and financing those acquisitions with, you know, 75 to 80% loan to cost bridge financing, you know, three-year term and uh, you know, floating interest rate. And so, you know, what what will end up happening with those loans? You know, it's, it's anyone's guess. You know, I think the good news for a lot of them, a lot of those borrowers is they bought uh, SOFR caps on those. They bought SOFR caps with a, a, a pretty low strike rate. Um, and so they're, they, they effectively have a fixed rate between now and their loan maturity, um, which might be another year or two years out. Um, and so there, there is some runway. Um, I, you know, I would advise people that, you know, a lot of my borrowers that, that are doing syndications and have investors, even if their properties are performing, and even some of these syndications I've invested in, 
Um, even if the property is performing as expected, it's cash flowing, all that, um, a lot of my borrowers and, and just sponsors I've invested with have, have stopped uh, distributions, largely because they want to build up their reserves. They want to get as much in, in the kitty as possible so that when they do go to refi, let's say they, they refi today or a year from now or 18 months from now, if, if their total payoff is $10 million and if their loan's only sizing to 9 million, then at least they've got enough in reserves. Maybe they had a million dollars they've built up with reserves and they can, they can do a cash in refi. And instead of having to do a capital call, they can just fund that, that cash in uh, with reserves. And so I think, um, you know, a lot of these properties, you know, we've, we've probably seen you know, 15 to 20% decline from peak pricing in a lot of these markets. Um, and I think, I think there will be some challenges you now, especially if, uh, you know, the Fed funds rate stays elevated, if the 10-year treasury you know, stays kind of in the high three range, um, it'll be a challenge to, to refi some of these bridge loans. Um, I mean, the other thing too, is a lot of these properties, you know, even in a, even in a strong market, there's always going to be sponsors and operators that just miss the mark on operations or just aren't very good operators, or they went into the acquisition, they closed on it. Um, you know, maybe they raised a hundred thousand dollars for working capital when they should have raised 400,000 or 500,000. So they're just undercapitalized going into it. And so there's always going to be operators that, that, you know, just don't perform. And, you know, in, in the past, kind of run-ups that we've seen over the last five years, a lot of these acquisitions were financed with Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac. And you know, the nice thing about Fannie and Freddie is that these are 10-year loans where you have a 10-year runway to get things on track. Whereas with bridge loans, you know, if you miss the mark and you're 18 months in or 24 months in, um, you could be in a spot where you know now your loan's maturing, property's not performing. And even if the market is, is positive, um, you're still not able to refi. And so, um, you know, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. I, I personally think, um, and again, the crystal ball, I, I'm just a mortgage broker in Texas. Like, what do I know? But I think, uh, I think 10 year treasury is going to fall and is going to be in the low threes, uh, by next year, because I, I do think we're heading into a recession, you know, all the indications and the the, the key indicator, the, the inverted yield curve, it's really never been this inverted. I think the two-year treasury is 75 basis points higher than the 10-year treasury, which just, you know doesn't really make sense. And that's just kind of a key. It, it's, it's always been, you know, as predicted every recession really, I think since the 1980s. And so usually when you go into a recession, you see the 10-year treasury fall. And so I think, um, you know, I think there's a good chance the 10-year does fall to low threes early next year. So I think that'll help a lot of these bridge loans uh, get out. Um, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it all unfolds. Yeah, great commentary. And I appreciate all that. Um, even some forward-looking statements there, right? But uh, take take it with a grain of salt. But it's... Um, it's good to look at that. So let's let's talk about kind of worst case scenario here, right? If you're a borrower and you're you're staring at maybe a default here um, because of some of this confluence of of different market conditions, what do you say to what do you say to that borrower? Yeah, so I haven't come across a lot of these situations quite yet. Um, I haven't had a lot of borrowers reach out that have said, 
you know, we are in a loan that we really need to get out of. And you know, I think we're heading towards the fall. I, I've, I've seen it, you know, just a couple of times, you know, so far. What I would say though, for that borrower is if you own a property that's financed with a bridge loan and you think you're heading towards a path where there's a good chance you're going to be to default, what I would say is don't wait until you're into, in default because, um, you know, for one, the lender doesn't want you to go into default. You definitely don't want to go into default, um, largely because, you know, you'll start having to pay default interest. And so, you know, your regular interest rate, you know, it might be SOFR plus 4%, but default interest is oftentimes 5% higher than your in-place interest rate. So your rate might go from SOFR plus 4% to SOFR plus 9%. And so now um, you're having to pay default interest and it's just not a good situation to be in. And so um, there's no problems at all with, with approaching your lender and reaching out to them and, and just letting them know like, hey, here's what the current situation is. Um, we think there's a good chance we will be into default or we have a loan maturity here three months or six months or nine months. And you know we just don't think we'll be able to refi our existing loan. And so have an open dialogue with your lender and, you know, just be honest about what, what actually is going on. And so to me, that's, that's really, you know, when you're in a situation where you're going into default um, or you could be in default as, as a borrower, there's a million different scenarios that could play out here and a lot of different ways to, to get out of the jam. And step number one or the, the top of the decision tree to me, number one is just talk to the lender, take their temperature, see if they're willing to look at a proposal for a modification or see if they're, you know, see if they say non-responsive or, you know, pound sand, like we're not going to help you out. And, you know, if they're open to a modification, that's one side of the decision tree. If the response is no response or it's, you know, we're not, we're not going to help you out, then that's a different side of the decision tree. So that's, that's kind of number one. And then the second thing I would say is, you know, if, if you are going to your lender, talking to your existing lender about issues on the property, um, you know, you want to make sure that you're you're looking at the loan agreement, you're understanding, um, you know, because a lot of these loans are not recourse loans, meaning there's there's no personal guarantee. Um, sure. What they have, what they have are what's called carve outs, um, which carve outs are are basically certain things that can trigger recourse. And so the lender will say, this is a non-recourse loan. There's no personal guarantee, except if you do one of these different things. And usually the standard carve-outs are, you know, if you commit fraud, if you, um, I mean, really the biggest thing is committing fraud. The other thing is, you know, putting the borrowing entity in the bankruptcy, which basically kind of freezes the lender, doesn't allow them to foreclose on the property. But make sure you understand what the carve-outs are, because all the lenders have different carve-outs. Um, just make sure that you're not doing anything that could potentially trigger the carve out because some, some lenders, it's really just uh, acts of fraud or bad boy acts. Some lenders have, have different carve outs where like, hey, you've got to replenish your interest reserve. If you don't replenish your interest reserve, we can trigger recourse. Like they have a lot of different, just kind of different gotchas that they can use as leverage against you as the borrower uh, during a negotiation. And so um, one thing that we're doing currently or that we're, we're starting to market some of our, our uh, clients and, and just prospective borrowers is, is workout advisory uh, situations where basically 
we work with borrowers, we kind of advise them on here's how we should approach a lender. If the lender is open to a modification, let's put together a proposal that that asset manager who has, you know, that's sitting in that arbor and has 25 different loans in their portfolio. The last thing they want to do is, you know, deal with the borrower who just comes and says, uh, hey, I think I'm going into default, you know, can I get a little extra time here? Like that, that's not, that's going to go nowhere. They're putting that yep. request in the bottom of their pile. But if you can put together a nice, clean presentation that they can copy and paste and, and put it in a memo to senior management, that's that's going to be much better received. And so um, that's something we're doing. And then if you do get to that modification uh, process, which you know, hope, hopefully you don't, but if, if you do, um, there's a number of different situations you could go into. You could do um, the lender could agree to a discounted payoff where maybe you owe $10 million, but the lender says, just pay us off 9 million and, and we'll call it a day and we'll walk away, we'll take a million dollar loss. Now, I mean, all these lenders, they set aside reserves for these losses. And so they might have $100 million in reserves set aside to you know, a bucket of money basically to, to take losses on some of these loans. And so they're trying to figure out how do I minimize my losses in these types of situations? And so, um, so, you know, a discount payoff is one solution. The lender might agree to carry back a B note, where basically they say, pay us off, same situation, $10 million payoff, pay us off 8 million, and then we'll carry back 2 million, we'll be like a B note lender, where basically we're getting a higher uh, yield, our $2 million, but now we've reduced our exposure. So that could be, that could be a solution. Uh, the lender might just say, let's extend, uh, you know, 12 months or give you another 24 months and we'll let you do a lower interest rate because the property is performing. You know, we as a lender, we think that interest rates are declining here um, and that you'll be able to refi this into Fannie or Freddie in a year. So like we'll just extend 24 months. And so there's a lot of just different ways you can go. But I think the worst thing you can do if you are a borrower in that situation is put your head in the sand hoping things will turn around and hope that the 10 year treasury drops to where it needs to drop for you to refi. And, you know, hope is not a strategy. Um, so that's right. That's right. This is really good insight into kind of how the banks operate. And I think there's probably some people that need to hear that message that reach out to your loan broker, you know, have those conversations earlier and um, don't let that train get too much further down the track. If you're in some sort of some sort of serious situation there. Uh, we were talking a little bit before, and I want to touch on it about these SOFR caps. I mean, I, we, I just got off a call uh, this morning on one of our deals that we bought a a rate cap for seventy five thousand dollars, which in the you know scope of these types of deals is is not was not that much at the time, and you know it's it's a mil, it's worth a million bucks now, and so we're we're kind of looking at you know a um, couple of factors, right? We're going to need to start escrowing for future rate rate cap purchases, which in today's market are certainly not seventy five thousand dollars anymore. So the escrows that we're having to put away are substantial, and while it's not an expense, it's still cash that's that's coming out every month. Um, and so what you know, but at the same time, we've got a, a potential million dollar payout on a policy here. So you know, we could refi and capture that. We could sell and capture that. Um, what are you seeing out there with regard to kind of the current hot valuations of these these SOFR uh, caps and how are how are owners um, 
using that? Are they opting to sell and take the money? Are they opting to refi, take the money, do nothing? You know, how's that shaking out in the market right now? Yeah, it's been really interesting um, looking at how how much appreciation there has been on these rate caps and, and honestly surprising to, to me. I mean, I know the cost of SOFR caps have gotten a lot more expensive, but what I've also seen is that some of these borrowers or some of my clients that, that bought a SOFR cap a year ago, or, or maybe even a little bit longer than a year ago, um, those SOFR caps are now very valuable. So just like as a live example, um, I'm looking at refining a bridge loan on a property that I financed in October of 2021 uh, as a property in, in the Nashville, Nashville, Tennessee market. And you know, that the total payoff on that, that property is about 13.5 million. That's the existing loan balance. And they bought a SOFR cap, um, you know, when they close on the bridge loan, so they have a couple of years left or a little bit less than two years of term left, that SOFR cap now is worth 950,000. And so our Fannie or Freddie loan is, is underwriting to about 12.8, 12.9 million. Um, so they're not quite there to, to pay off their existing loan. But what they're going to do is they'll, they'll, refi, they'll refi the loan at 12.9 million, 13.5 is the loan balance. So the total payoff, they're about 600K short. And so what they'll do is they'll sell that SOFR cap and then use the proceeds from the sale to uh, do a cash in refi and basically put more equity uh, into the deal to close it with Fannie and Freddie. Um, and so I'm seeing that, I mean, obviously some of these, uh, you know, the Freddie Mac filling rate loans, the way those SOFR caps work, and a lot of people were doing Freddie floaters in, in 2020, 2021, because SOFR was at zero. And, you know, a lot of people felt like SOFR would stay close to zero. Um, actually, not just a lot of people, I mean, really the entire market thought SOFR would stay close to zero because inflation was so low. And, um, you know, I just remember the conversation was always like, well, the Fed has so much debt, there's no way they can increase the Fed funds rate. But anyway, I'm, I'm getting off on a tangent here. But anyway, they so people did Freddie floaters, you know, quite a bit. That was kind of the hot product on the Fannie Freddie side, which sure. was floating rate product in 2020 and 2021. And so what those Freddie floaters require on the SOFR cap side is a three-year SOFR cap that you purchase at close. And then every three years during that term, you have to purchase another SOFR cap and purchase a new SOFR cap. And what Freddie will require is that um, during that, throughout the entire term, you as the borrower, you always need to escrow the cost of that, for the cost of that next SOFR cap purchase. And so what people have seen on these Freddie floaters is the, the monthly escrow was, was pretty low because SOFR caps were cheap. And um, what a lot of people didn't realize, and honestly, I, I didn't realize about Freddie floaters is that Freddie can actually go back and look at where's, what's the cost of SOFR caps currently? Has the cost gone up? If the cost has gone up, then I can increase your, your monthly escrow amount. Um, and that increase in the monthly escrow for the SOFR cap actually be pretty expensive. And so, you know, if you have a Freddie floater and the cost of your SOFR cap escrow is, is running up, and you still have a decent amount of term left on that SOFR cap. Uh, I mean, for one, you could you could sell that SOFR cap and have a pretty nice payout from that. And then you could also you know, move into a fixed rate loan. And a lot of people, you know, still have nightmares about you know yield maintenance and how high yield maintenance has gone. You know, I think there, there's a lot of different ways you can move into fixed rate 
to kind of minimize that prepayment penalty. Um, you know, one thing we've been doing this year is um, on refis with, with Fannie or Freddie is instead of doing a, a 10 year loan with a full term yield maintenance, you could do a 10 year, a 10 seven, which is a 10 year loan fixed for 10 years with seven years yield maintenance. You could do a 10 five. Um, there's a lot of different levers you can kind of pull, um, you know, to kind of get around the, the, the lower prepayment penalty. So. Yeah, <clears throat> great commentary on that. We've actually got a, a project in that exact scenario and that, you know, the escrow from Freddie, it, the proposed escrow is, you know, $16,000 a month going to $52,000 a month, right? Still still an escrow, it's not an expense, but that's a pretty big delta on a monthly basis to, to cover just for a future possible rate cap purchase, right? So, you know, we're exploring that exact scenario, right? Do we refi? Do we sell? We've got a million dollar policy here. It's not all bad. Um, you know, so there's some different, different factors there for sure. So yeah, that's, that's really good commentary. Um, how are your, how are your borrowers getting deals done right now? You know, we're talking kind of, and last day of November here in 2022 on the, on the acquisition side, assuming, you know, assuming there are any, sometimes it feels like there's zero acquisitions happening, but we know they're happening out there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, inventory and just deals on the market is, is, Way way lower. I mean, it's pretty similar to the residential market in that no one is really selling a home right now unless they have to sell. And same thing for multifamily. It's a lot of people really aren't selling unless they really need to sell. And we haven't really, at least in, in markets I'm most active in, which are DFW and San Antonio, I haven't seen a lot of distressed sellers uh, quite yet. And so, yeah, I would say transaction activity is slowing down on on you know deals that we are working on. We're seeing. You know, it's I kind of segment two different sides of the market. I'd say that the, the smaller balance space, so like 10 million and below, but then like the larger balance, which is 10 million higher or 15 million higher, you know, in the small balance space, we're seeing, um, we're doing bank loans still, and we're mostly directing our borrowers to go into, into bank loans. Um, the reason we like bank is because, you know, obviously the recourse, which, you know, people, a lot of times they don't want to sign recourse, which is you know, it's understandable, but what banks can offer is they can do a fixed rate, uh, you know, for, for three years fixed or five years fixed. Um, we were seeing them go up to 70 to 75% of purchase price, a lot of these deals, but I think, you know, they've, they've come off about a little bit, but they could do a five-year fixed rate loan up to 75% LT, LTV or 75% of purchase plus 75% of your budgeted CapEx. And the rates are, you know, seven to 7.5% fixed. Um, on the larger balance side, you know, 15 million and higher, um, we're still seeing a decent amount of activity on, from the bridge lenders. I mean, obviously not as much competition. A lot of the bridge lenders have really paused and are on the sidelines. Um, but on the bridge side, we're still seeing people get up to 75% of purchase plus hundred percent of CapEx, uh, spreads in the, the you know, four to four and a half percent range. Um, I mean, we're even seeing people, you know, we've, we've had bridge quotes, they're down into like the high three hundreds. Um, and so there's still bridge lenders out there now, given that SOFR is, is at 4% now is really for, you know, going to four and a quarter and probably going to 5% here by the first half of 2023, you're looking at like an 8% floating rate going in, which is pretty painful, obviously. But um, what a lot of our borrowers are doing is they're buying a, they're buying a SOFR cap and just kind of buying the bullet. 
and you know they're 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 buying a SOFR cap at the two percent strike rate, a two-year term. The cost of that cap is about five percent of the loan amount. So you know if you're doing a ten million dollar loan and you got to buy a SOFR cap, it's it's five hundred thousand dollars to to purchase that cap, and so you know you're effectively getting a nine and a half million dollar loan because five hundred thousand of it is going to to pay for that SOFR cap. And I mean, really, um, if you look at the SOFR curve and, and you know where SOFR is projected to go, if the SOFR curve plays out you know, as as it's forecasted, um, you know you end up actually being in the money on that cap from day one, and the payout actually is enough where you get to a point where your out of pocket cost once you get through that two years ends up being pretty small. And so um, it's not a it's not a terrible trade off. I don't, I don't think. Um, you know, I think a lot of borrowers are, are really desperate to get into some kind of fixed rate loan and they're trying to manufacture a Fannie or Freddie fixed rate loan on an acquisition where the going in cash flow is pretty low and they're trying to layer in prep or mess behind it. Like, you know, there's, there's certain situations where that works, but more often or not, I think you're really just better off just doing, um, just doing a bridge loan and getting... 65 to 70 percent 65 to 75 percent of purchase plus 100 percent of capex and then you know going in execute the business plan and then refine and yeah because now you've got exit flexibility right which is effectively the same rate exit flexibility uh you know locking in a fixed rate at seven percent yeah i mean you've got exit flexibility and like a lot of these properties are selling at you know like pretty large discounts i mean so a lot of properties that, at least in the DFW market, that went under contract at one price, they fell out of contract, went under contract at, you know, a 20 to even up to a 30% discount to where the last seller was selling the property. Um, and usually those are sellers who are just ready to move on, ready to get out long-term owners. But it's like, you know, yes, the financing terms, and I, I think I was saying this on the last podcast, but like, I know the financing terms, loan terms aren't as good as they were in 2022 or as they were in 2021, but you know, the purchase prices are a lot better. So that's right. Yeah. You're never going to win all sides of the, of the deal. You know, I mean, it's, it's just, it's never, it's never going to be all of it. Um, so def- definitely interesting times and hopefully we've, you know, kind of gotten to that terminal rate or close to that terminal rate with the fed where we got there really, really quickly and hopefully we're at some point where we can kind of see the top of the, the Fed rate. And then uh, at some t- time horizon, there's really kind of nowhere to go, but, but down as we maybe enter, you know, recession or whatever the case is. So um, what do you, what do you think for next year? You know, 2023, every, everybody's kind of, you know, coming into holiday party season and everything's slowing down for the next few weeks. And I think a lot of, you know, from, from what I've talked to, a lot of operators just kind of pencils down for the rest of the year and hoping for some good news next year. What do you, what do you see for 2023? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, I think the first half of 2023 will be a little bit slow on the listing front. Um, I think we'll start to see more, a lot more activity second half of 2023, just sure. because we're going to see some borrowers that have had these floating rate bridge loans where they've been they've been putting money in and carrying the property and you know having to write a check every month to cover their operating expenses and cover their debt service. I think some of these borrowers are going to start to throw on the towel and decide, you know, now I'm it's seller or not before seller. So I think you'll start to see more of that second half of 2023. 
And then I think we will see, um, you know, I think we will start to, I mean, I mean hopefully start to see inflation you know, really starting to come down, getting to kind of like the sub 5% level. Um, you know, the Fed starting to let up a little bit on, on hiking the Fed funds rate. You know, we're currently at about 4%. Um, you know, hopefully it stops at around, around 5%. Um, and then I think you'll see the 10-year treasury fall um, down to the low 10s, or sorry, the low threes. And I think the, the sponsors that you know, were able to execute their business plan and, and, and increase their cash flow and increase the NOI will be able to refi. And then, you know, the people that, that missed the mark or undercapitalized or whatever it was, you know, I think there may be some, some issues. Um, I don't, I, I'm not convinced there'll be like blood in the streets and it'll be like a, a big nasty recession, but um, yeah, I think it'll be challenging. Um, but I think we'll get to the other side of it, you know, just fine. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Well, appreciate the commentary and appreciate just the general market update. Very interesting time for multifamily owners, operators, buyers, sellers, brokers, everybody. Um, never a dull moment. That's for that's for sure. Keeps us all uh, on our toes here. But we've seen, you know, all kinds of cycles before and we'll get to the other side of this one as well. Uh, John, if someone listening wants to connect and learn more about what your firm's doing, how can they do that? So you can go to our website. It's uh, McKinneyRC.com. That's N-C-K-I-N-N-E-Y-R-C.com. Perfect. We'll link to that in the show notes. If you're listening, you can scroll through the description, click right through to John, uh, John's website and meet him and his team. And uh, John, thanks so much. Look forward to, to, or thank you for coming on. Look forward to having you on again in the future for, for another market update and uh, wish you the uh, uh, good finish out here to 2022. Awesome. Thanks, Devin. All right. Take care. Thank you for listening to the DJE podcast. For more information, please go to djetexas.com.